0: What's going on, everyone? This is Nolan Sam with Infinite Banking Radio. And uh, we actually just started our uh, commercial real estate mastermind about a month ago. Uh, we had our first cohort get uh, built up. We've got uh, 11 people in there uh, basically learning how to either if they don't own real estate, they are uh, going to jump ship on the residential side and go straight into commercial. Or if they are in residential, they might uh, want to shift over to the commercial side, We're talking about you know, industrial warehouses, flex space, um, basically the bigger buildings and the bigger deals. And so, um, what I wanted to do is I wanted to give everybody, uh, just a little glimpse into what our mastermind and what our calls sound like and what they look like. Right. So you're, of course, you're not going to get a chance to actually see anything, um, how I share my screen and things like that. But of course you get to hear the conversation and the dialogue back and forth with the guys in our, in our group. So if you're somebody that's out there, that's interested in learning more about commercial real estate, you want to figure out how you can, again, you maybe have four to six units or you don't have any units, or you want to, you've heard of real estate, you've heard of passive income and you want to do a little bit bigger deals than maybe buying $30,000 houses in your hometown. Uh, commercial real estate is for you. Um, the people in our group, not everybody, but in my opinion, the way that I was raised, I was, I was more of a smaller thinker, uh, basically raised in Kokomo, Indiana, and thirty five, forty thousand dollars $40,000 houses were the way to go. And I discovered this new way of investing with commercial real estate and um, industrial-style buildings and flex space and understanding the differences between rent per square foot and price per square foot and how basically with residential real estate, the value is driven and based on what the comps in the area are, but with commercial real estate, you get a chance to actually increase the intrinsic value of the building because you increase the, the actual net operating income because that's the only value in commercial real estate. So if you can increase the rental income, you can increase the value. And so all of the people in our cohort and in our group, they're wanting to learn how they can do that and how they can implement that in their own life. And so I just wanted to give everybody a glimpse of our very first week of our call um, and where you can get a chance to potentially experience this for yourself if you like to be a part of this, right? I mean, we don't – I'm not necessarily opening this up to everybody, but uh, I will put the link in the bio of this of this uh, website – or I'm sorry, of this, uh, of this episode – And if you'd like to schedule a call with me and see if maybe commercial real estate is something that you're interested in, I would highly, highly encourage you to get started immediately because every single time that you're buying a piece of real estate that's a little brinky-dink single-family house for 40 grand... Somebody else is doing commercial real estate. They just add a zero and they make $400,000. And I'm telling you, it's not that hard. You just got to change how you think. And I hope that this cohort and this mastermind is going to help you stop thinking so small and start thinking big. But before we get into the, the other side of the mastermind, here's a quick word from our sponsors. My Financial Snapshot is the official sponsor of the Infinite Banking Radio podcast. My Financial Snapshot builds personal financial tools to help you track your finances. Their Snapshot tool is the first easy-to-use and reusable personal financial statement builder available online. It's the perfect solution for real estate investors and business owners. Their budgeting tool takes the hassle of budgeting away and lets you focus on the results of your budget. Individuals can get unlimited access to their tools and educational resources for $44.99 a year or $6.99 a month. For Infinite Banking Radio listeners, use coupon code INFINITE20 for 20% off your subscription for life. Use the link in the description and get started making personal finance easy and simple today. Well, then that's awesome. Again, I want to thank everybody for being here. I'm excited about this. Um, Kind of like what we mentioned, guys, in that email that I had sent um, you know, over the weekend, just the this, this first week is I'm going to share my screen here um, and I'll share this document with you guys. Um, so it's just basically this week I want to talk about let me um, move my thing up here where I can actually see my bookmarks. OK, so and I'll share this document with you all um, that way you can kind of see what I'm going to be talking about. I want to talk tonight about why we invest in commercial real estate and then how to build your team. Right. So I'm going to go into a couple of these details. Um, I want to make sure this is like a dialogue though, too. So if somebody has something that's on their mind as I'm kind of going through this, cause I don't want this to just be like me talking. I want this to be a dialogue, but I also want to share this with you guys. And I don't want to just bang out something over, you know, Google word because that's, but, I, but I also want to get this information to you guys as to why and how commercial real estate is different than residential real estate. And I just want to go over the details of that. So I'll share this little, this little document with you. Basically after I go over kind of the differences between commercial and residential, I'll go into the team and how you build it out. The ins and the outs. I'll go into a little bit. Has everybody received their, their pro forma? I want to make sure everybody got their, their hands on this.
1: Um, Yeah. Yes. Where they
0: got your eyes on this and, and we're going to go over, these metrics, these, all all this stuff next week. Okay. So, um, this will tie in. So we'll talk about a little bit tonight about depreciation when I, when I speak about my accountant and how that kind of builds in. Um, but I really want to focus right now just on going over the differences out of the gate as to why commercial is better than residential. And again, I got 42 residential houses. There's some guys that you guys have three or four times more three or four times less than 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 each other here. But I really want to just hammer down as as the foundation in understanding the actual structure and the rebar as to why commercial real estate is simply a a, a longevity wise a much better investment strategy because you play the long game. Um I, I would look at this the, the biggest way that I could distill it down into one sentence is uh when you have residential tenants Everything has to go right for you to get paid with commercial tenants. Everything has to go wrong for you not to get paid. Okay. That's my, that's my uh, one little sentence I would say. So again, um, I'm not going to bore you guys with this, but I think it's just good to stay on pace. So again, if someone has a question as I kind of walk through all this stuff, I'll be pretty interactive, but if you have a question or a thought, like just unmute yourself and speak up and then I'll answer it. Okay. Is that good with everyone? Okay. So kind of out of the gate, the commercial real estate, what we're talking about is not apartment buildings. We're not talking about hotels. Um, we're not talking about single families. We're only talking about where commerce is done in real estate. So if you are a, a business owner and you own a landscaping business or you own a uh, bi- uh, some type of Pharmaceutical distribution business, or you own a glass supply company. That is where commerce is done. So, if you are doing commerce and you're earning, or or you have people working for you in your business, that is that that building is commercial. That's a commercial property, and that's what we're talking about. It's not where you live; it's where you do conduct business. Okay, so going on here, where it just says basically people versus contracts. So again, in the majority. Of uh, of every contract, commercial t- contracts, and I would say even ninety nine percent of them, unless something goes sideways, your tenant is responsible for paying or or at least fixing anything that's out there. So you got a residential tenant, of course. If you you own residential property, y- you know your toilet it's leaking, this and that. Even sometimes when uh, the grass needs to be cut, they're calling they're calling you, and you're the one that's responsible for that. But of course, with commercial real estate. You're never being called for anything. The tenant's responsible for everything. They're responsible for maintaining the property. And me as the landlord, I'm only responsible for actually providing a watertight seal on the building. And the reason why that is, just to to comprehend this for a second, it's when when a tenant goes into work every day, the difference between a residential property or residential tenant is again, um, they have a gross lease, which means that they pay you a rent and then you pay all of your expenses out of that. And then whatever's left over is your net operating income, right? We, you know, if you own those properties, you understand that. But again, with commercial, um, when you're running your business out of these properties or out of our properties that we will own, um, the biggest difference is that your your tenants, like think about this. If you have a, uh, if you run a, again, a glass supply company and uh, you have a a, a person that's a, a architect that comes in to purchase glass or whatever it is. You you want that building to be presentable when that individual shows up to go buy from you. So you're not going to rely on your landlord to to take care of the weeds or to ca- take care of the grass. You're going to say, let me just take care of this myself. Pay me, a, I'll pay a little bit less in rent in order for me to be able to take care of everything myself. So essentially, you put all the responsibility on the tenant in order for your tenant to have more of a consistent, um, and I'll get into this, but more of a consistent, uh, uh, r- rental income versus, you know, in residential, you know, if, if something is being built down the street, you can increase rent overnight. But, um, so again, uh, residential tenants, they don't, they, you know, they don't, if they don't pay rent, your options are severely limited. I mean, what can you do? I, I have a tenant right now in Kokomo, Indiana. That's, that's not paying rent and, I mean, what is my only option? It's basically eviction and you got to go through that whole song and dance. But um, if commercial and commercial, if my tenant's delinquent, which they never are because we have everything set up on a HCH, I, I literally never have an issue with rent on time. Um, most of the time they're paid before the second of the month. And if, something goes, if, if it's a bank holiday, something goes sideways, it's never a really a big deal. Um, so let's just talk about, this is kind of my favorite little chapter of this, but why do we invest in commercial real estate? Well, number one, I would say the lease duration. So commercial tenants earn their income on your property, right? There's a benefit called goodwill. So again, like I mentioned earlier, if your tenant has to change locations, they would lose a lot of their clients. So imagine, for example, a dentist and a uh, you know he has 10,000 clients and he's on the west side of town, wherever you are, let's say he's on the west side of town. And then you as the landlord say, hey, your rent's up or your, your lease is up, you got to move. He goes the other side of town. He's more than likely not, going to have all of his current clients say, Hey, I'm going to go to the the, the closer dentist. That's on my side of town. He's going to lose all of his, you know, at least half of his clients. So the lease duration in regards to the tenant's eyes, look at us as landlord. That's why they're always asking, Hey, can I have a five or seven or even a 10 year, 15 year lease? Because I know that my business functions based upon my clients knowing where I am. That's why the leases are a lot longer. So uh, so if one of the tenants fears that the landlord would not renew the lease, uh, that's why they're inclined to ask for longer leases. They just simply know that their business functioned and thrives based upon their location. And so you as the land landlord essentially own that. You own that location. You own that building. Your tenant doesn't want to move because that's their lifeline. Uh, if they're planning to spend money on the building, they need to make sure that they have more than just a few remaining years on the lease. Um, the reason that is, of course, is that if they're going to go and improve their building, Uh, you know, your building, they want to make sure that, uh, because, because again, they're going to improve their property based upon, um, the fact that they're going to be around a while and it's going to create some type of return. Same reason why you and I would go ever return or, or do some type of deal, um, to get a return on it. So, um, think about this way. If they, if they'd be trying to sell a business, if the new buyer knows that there's only 18 months left on the lease, the buyer may be reluctant to pay much of the business as if the landlord doesn't renew the tenant has to move, They'll lose goodwill with the tenant. So, what I'm getting at here is that if someone's trying to sell the sell their business, um, they're gonna be in a situation in 18 months when they sell it. If they have to move and, the, and their lease is up, well, then that person's not gonna buy the business if they know that the lease is no longer up or the, the, the lease is no longer there and they gotta move. So the same dentist, if the dentist sells his practice. 18 months later, that new dentist that just bought the practice has to move across town. He bought that business based upon a rate of return or a cash flow metric. And now he's losing all of his clients. So the, the, what I'm getting at here is the lease duration is lights out and night and day so much longer than a residential tenant. Can you imagine (laughs) hypothetically for a second? Can you imagine like your residential tenant asking for seven years on their lease? I mean, it's, it's kind of comical. Um, but yeah. So in general, commercial real estate, basically interest, the 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 tenant and the landlord have the same, the same interest of wanting to have a longer lease versus a short-term lease. So, um, so, okay. So an assignment of lease, and again, this is, I, I just want to go over this really quickly, kind of in the first, the first meeting, because I, I want to just distill down at how important this is to understand the differences. So I just, I don't want to bore people with a freaking Google doc, but um, I think it's important to understand this out of the gate. So that's okay with you guys, I'll kind of keep rolling. Um so an assignment of lease here basically just means that if somebody sells the business or moves, what that means is that the um the a, a new buyer of that business, the the previous owner is always going to be on the hook moving forward. So um you can have like multiple assignments of lease in the future, which basically just gives you more um knowledge and knowing that you're always going to be able to have a, like I have a tenant right now dude I signed him up I signed this guy back up on a lease he's a five-year lease I signed it back up in January a five-year lease on 8,200 square feet and he's already like hey Nolan can do you have anything that's 15,000 or 20,000 feet and I said you I absolutely can find you 20,000 feet so that gives me of course incentive to go find a building that's 20,000 feet but also too I'm like hey look his name is Steven I said Steven if If you understand this, like, I'm okay with finding you a new building, but you're going to be on the hook for this lease because you signed a five-year lease with me. He's paid me not only a security deposit first year and last month's rent or last year's rent, but he's on the hook for that lease because he personally guaranteed it. So what I'm getting at, though, is that if he wants to go and say, hey, I'm going to either sell this building or I'm going to move to another location – He is still on the hook to either sublease this to somebody else. And if he can't sublease it, he has to continue to service me rent every single month. So every single time a a lease gets turned over or a business is sold, it just gives you more layers of protection knowing that your rent is always going to get paid on time. Okay. So triple net leases, the tenant pays all the outgoings. We've all heard this before. Everyone always asks the question, why does triple net leases make sense? Uh, why why the hell would a tenant ever want to pay all the outgoings? That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, here's the thing. Of course, let's just dis- let's just describe it first. So a triple net lease just simply quotes the net of three items: the property taxes, the insurance premiums, and the maintenance. Okay. So a gross lease would group all of those costs into one dollar figure. Okay so so if taxes or insurance goes up it looks as if you're increasing rent but if you separate the base rent from the expenses any increase in costs will be viewed as being beyond your control right so what i actually do and i'll show you guys this as we kind of go together on this when i send invoices to my tenants each month just so they can have a verification with me as to hey what was my you know and, and the rents are the same every single every single year you know in year 2022 the rents were, you know, a base rent per foot, but they also had a pro rata, which pro rata essentially is, means, you know, that portion of that that year's taxes and insurance. So what I'll do, I have I have a tenant over in Tarrant, which is in essentially North Birmingham, and uh, what I do is he he pays me thirteen thousand two hundred bucks in in. Rent based upon the square footage that he rents. But he also pays me $775 in insurance and $560 in taxes, which is prorated, prorated $112 each month. So he basically writes me a check every month for like $14,900. And so basically, he writes me that check every month. And at the end of the year, I'm essentially paying that insurance premium and I pay those property taxes. So realistically he's paying those. I end up paying them, but it comes from him paying that to me each and every month. Um, But I want to, I want to describe as to why the triple net lease, again, makes so much more sense to um, a commercial tenant than it would be a full service. And a full service just means that the tenant pays all of the outgoings, or I'm sorry, the landlord pays all the outgoings. So again, most of the time, it would make more sense. Well, why, why, why would the tenant want to pay all these expenses or, or what, you know, why, why would the, why would I want to do that? Well, when a tenant is paying, what has a full service lease, which means the landlord is in control or in charge of paying all the outgoings, it gives me more control over the price per foot of rent. That means that if there's something being built around town or rent goes up around town, I can essentially go and just change the price of rent because those leases are a lot shorter. So if you put yourself in the shoes of a business owner for a moment, think about my glass supply business company that they just signed a five-year lease with me. They know what they're, because think about this. Every business functions off of two costs. They have fixed costs and they have variable costs. Fixed costs essentially are if you've got somebody that sits at the front desk and you pay them $38,000 a year in a salary, and then you've got rent as an, as as this is what a fixed cost. It costs to run our business and then you've got your variable costs things that you know the more that you buy something the more the cost goes up or you know whatever it is so a a tenant is going to look at um a lease or a triple net lease as a as a lot more control over their business if they can forecast out into the future 10 15 20 years or sometimes even 5 into the future at what their fixed cost is going to be, it's going to allow them to be that much more precise and that much more surgical when it comes to underwriting their business and how they're going to create a profit for you know their investors or just their own you know their own their their own business. So the triple net lease makes a lot more sense because it's a lot more consistent in regards to increases in rents and it's only three percent bumps each and every year. But the reality is, when you have a full service lease, it allows the landlord to control the rent increases. When you have a triple net lease, it allows really, I mean, it's still in control, but it allows a more consistent, gradual, um, longevity-style lease that both the landlord and the tenant can both be in control of the same thing. The tenant knows what the costs are going to be. The landlord knows he's going to get those rents every single year or every single month moving into the future, okay? Okay. Um, I kind of mentioned this earlier. I said the tenant earns the income on your property. So again, if something stopped working, the, the the commercial tenants not going to call me. They're going to take care of it themselves because candidly, they're business owners, they're trying to attack the next business item that's on their to-do list. So um they're not gonna call me, they're on the hook for that. Um, simply I'm just providing them a water type business. I'm in charge of you have things called a triple net lease, of course, which is the tenant paying all the expenses. And you have what is called an absolute triple net lease, where actually the tenant is even in charge of securing the the entire premise. So they actually got to control the roof and uh, make sure that it's watertight as well. So, um, but but like I say here, the tenant will always be trying to find ways to enhance your building so they can increase their income. And of course, when those improvements happen, um, they they require my permission, but it's on my property. They're 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 going to be basically adding. I would call it equity. And then even better, more, we'll get into it, but talking about being able to depreciate that, um, it it all goes onto your building for them to be able to drive income for their business. Um, so does anybody, before I go any further, does anybody have any questions before I keep on rolling on to this? Does anybody have any thoughts or
2: questions on that? So on a commercial lease, uh, so would you take first month's and last month's rent or how would you do deposits on that?
0: Yeah, so on commercial, what I'll do, so if I sign somebody up for, let's say, um, a 60-month lease or a five-year lease, what I'll tell them is I say, hey, um, I want security pod. Let's say it's $5,000 a month in rent or whatever the square footage is and whatever. Um, I will go and say, I want the first year, I'll get a security deposit of $5,000. I'll get the first month's rent of $5,100 because there's a rent bump in it. And then in month 60, because there's been rent bumps over the last five years, the rent might be 50, $5,400. So I'll basically get a check out of the gate for $13,000 to basically kind of put my tenant a little bit on the hook, a little bit of skin equity, sweat equity in that deal out of the gate. So when I sign somebody up, it's always first last month's rent and a security deposit. Does that answer
1: your question? Yes, sir, it does. Okay. Anybody else? Any other thoughts before I continue? Yeah, on the topic of doing longer leases, I know that you have the security for, we'll we'll just say a certain dollar per square foot, and uh, you know that it's going to be paid for a long time. Are there ever any uh, either contingencies in the the contract or, uh, I don't know, things you can do on your side where if, let's say there's a significant increase in the the cost of commercial real estate where you're not missing out on potential gains because you signed a 10-year lease or something?
0: Good question. And there's, and that's kind of where you understanding your area and you understand the demographics of maybe where your city is moving. So like, for example, I've got a building where I signed this guy up for three years. I'm pretty bullish on this little pocket of Birmingham that I really like. I signed him up on a three-year lease with no options. And so most people would look at that and they think, well, that's spooky because that means that that tenant can get out. Well, I signed him up at $5.25 a foot on this building. It's 10,000 feet. I know because believe this, I signed it. I, I own the building across the street, like I just mentioned a minute ago for $5. It's for five years. I got that building at six bucks a foot. The building I just bought probably month two months ago, I, I have him rated at $5.25 a foot. And it's a nicer building. So I have him on a three-year lease right now with no options. So after these three years, I, I'm... If I sign the building up across the street that's that's half as nice for six bucks, I know I can get at least $6, probably closer to six fifty dollars or $7 a foot. But it allows me the opportunity to increase my rents because he has no options to just continue his lease at 5.25 and then 5.28 and then 5.34 a foot. It allows me to go renegotiate the lease versus just having all these options inside of the lease. And that's another thing we can talk about. Like, you know, you heard people say, Oh, he's got a five year lease with like three, five year options. Basically, what that does is just allow that tenant to keep riding that 3% rent bump each and every year. And it gives you, as a landlord, no upside. It gives you security because now you've got basically a tenant that's going to basically pay off your mortgage, you know, for the next 20 years, but you don't have any upside where you can go back and say, Hey, I have the opportunity. To um, increase almost double rents because there's a hotel going up down the street and rents are going up. You're locked into that lease, but if you have the fortitude to say, "Hey, I'm going to give you a three-year lease because I'm bullish on this location," then I know that this rent that I'm sitting at five twenty-five a foot, it's going to go up to eight bucks a foot with commercial. As long as you increase the rental income, you increase the value of the building. So that to not get all into the weeds, options are for people that are looking for more of just like consistent passive cash flow. If you give a tenant, no options, it means you're more bullish on that location with the opportunity to raise rents much higher in the future. Does that answer your question?
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but then does it also make sense to almost uh, like vet your tenant and see what type of business are they running? How new are they? Right. Cause if it's a business that's been running for 20 years, right. It doesn't make sense to, or I guess on the flip side, if they're new to business, they're within the first 18 months, right? Does it almost make sense to say, hey, we're gonna do a three year with no options. And then at the end of the three year, like you mentioned the dentistry, now that they have their entire clientele, they have all this equity into the building where it's the location really matters. Then wouldn't it make sense to say, hey, no, after the three years, we'll renegotiate because you know that they can afford, one, their business is more developed and two, now they have so much more to lose if they if they leave,
0: agree. 100% agree with you. Yeah. Uh, You you just nailed it. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, it's a little bit give and take with the tenant and you. like, so for example, going back to that building that's in Birmingham, that the tenant that we signed up for this, I I bought it. I I inherited this tenant, but they're like a pharmaceutical distribution business and they're looking for space. And so their business might net might need 20,000 feet. They're in 10,000 feet right now. They might need 20,000 feet in three years from now. And they might wanna move out and that's okay because candidly, I'll be able to lease that's, that building up immediately because it's a nice building for $7 a foot. And that, and I might I, all the whole time think about this, I'm gonna be looking for a building that's 20,000 feet where I can actually go and have my, that tenant now move into this new space to where I know that that's the space that he's wanting. He needs 20,000 feet. I can lock him in for five years. And then all the while I know this too, I know I have a tenant that's one larger space. I might go dabble around and find a guy that's at five thousand feet that's looking for ten thousand feet, and now I can just kind of just play the little movement game, the chess piece game, where I'm just moving the same tenants that are in my bubble. I'm just moving them to different locations, and then that allows me to go and get creative and negotiate, you know, deals with other owners because they don't understand that I got I've already got a tenant lined up. If that kind of makes sense, okay. Is that good so far? Does anybody have a question before I keep on rolling? Well,
2: Yeah. I have one more question. So yeah. just in general, so all my houses, I, I do all single families and a triplex, but uh, so all houses and in general, I find that nobody takes as good a care of properties as I would myself because they're my property. So I just care more about them. Same thing here in commercial, like it's your property, you know, inherently you just, long-term care a little bit more about it than a tenant say they get down to the end of a 10-year lease i got one year left and it's like oh whatever we're not going to fix that you know it's damaging the property a little bit it's just some termites or you know it's just a plumbing leak you know, it'll be okay or wh- whatever you know just they're not gonna always fix it a hundred percent or they might take a cheaper way out especially if it's not like a, a business where customers are coming in. If it's just like a warehouse and it's just workers, it's like, ah, whatever. whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't matter if the bathroom goes to hell because it's just our workers <laughs> in here. We don't care about it. or whatever, you know? So do you ever run into issues like that? And then like, obviously you've got the security deposit. You've got the last bunch rent. I mean, you've got some collateral, but it doesn't seem like. Yeah, I, I
0: see what you're asking. And, and there's two answers. The, the first answer is most of these business owners, um, they, th- my opinion has been at least my tenants, it's a lifestyle as to how they live. They don't, because if they're not treating their building with respect, um, I'm not going to say they're not going to treat the next one with respect. That's a little choppy, but, but what I, what I, what I've discovered is that, um, whether it's them living or, or them working there, whoever it is, um, it's built into where they have like monthly, um, so like how I do it is I have a cam expense, which is a common area maintenance and you can call it whatever you want. But I ch- I charge that um, they pay their own utilities, but I charge like, especially when it comes to um, the gutters, like if it's, if I got a, I got, I got one building in Trustville uh, in near Alabama, it's like Northeast of Birmingham. And I have a common area maintenance fee each and every month. And that goes to, because there's trees that hang over this. And every other month or every quarter, I've got somebody that goes out and you know, digs out the stuff that's inside of the gutters or that goes out there and cuts the grass. And so I'm not, I'm the tenant is paying for it, but they're not like in charge of paying for it. I draft that in the ACH out of their, out of their account every month. So it's it's being maintained, whether they're the ones paying for it or I'm the one paying for it. It's coming out of their account, and then from that, from their account that goes into mine. I send that bill. You know, they, they get a bill for whatever is being paid every single month. So they have no choice but to upkeep the property because I'm charging their ass. That makes
2: sense. Are you upcharging? It's like a lot of property management companies for maintenance or repairs will upcharge ten percent. Are you doing stuff like that? Not not
0: charging any, any fees or anything like that. I just put it, an itemized line on on my invoice. I say, look, here's, here's your rent per foot. Here's what the utilities were. If I'm the one in charge of paying the utilities, or most of the time, it's just insurance taxes. And if there's any, again, like tree overhang, or there's something that I've got to maintain, I don't have a building that has an elevator in it. But if I did, you know, there's an elevator maintenance fee that goes, and it's a thousand bucks. And I got four tenants. You guys are all getting a $250 fee for that because I'm dishing on those expenses to you because you guys use that in your business. So it's just a, in my personal opinion, my experience, it's been the way I experience and understand this is that tenants look at these buildings as the way that they make money. Why would they, why would they not treat the place with, like I, I would look and say tenants would rather treat their business nicer than their actual home because that's where they make money. They don't make their money in their home. They make their money in their business. So why would you go in and trash where you make money versus trash where you live at home, right? Like, you know, spit dip on the floor there, but keep your property nice because that's where you you derive your income for you to live your lifestyle. That's been my experience, though. And I in all of my properties, all of my tenants um, have, have all acted accordingly. That's helpful. Thanks. Is that fair to say? Yeah, so. All right, any other thoughts before I keep rolling? All right. So here's kind of where we get at. The landlord pays for some improvements of the property. So um, basically says that there's a clause that if the tenant wants to improve the property and they want me to pay for it. I'm just going to increase the rents. So I've got a situation right now in a building I'm working on over in Irondale, which is East Birmingham, where um, I've got a couple tenants that are wanting me to go in um improve the real estate. They want me to go and, and build out a certain way. I said, I got no problem doing that, but you're gonna pay for it in regards to rents. So we negotiated, we're coming together. We haven't, we haven't come together yet, but we're on our way. But what what I'm saying though is that if I if they want me to build something out for them, I got no problem doing that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put that cost, I'm gonna bake that cost into their rent every month so I can capitalize on that. So now if you look at this bullet point, I think this is important to say all these two bullet points So why would a tenant accept this deal? Well, number one, they don't got to come out of pocket for the improvements coming out of my pocket. It's going to hopefully increase revenue for their business, right? They're going to maybe be able to make more money, which is going to allow them to service, you know, pay more rent. Um, But most importantly, it's going to increase my cash flow, And it's also going to increase the value of the building because we're improving it for its highest and best use. So for me as a landlord, the way I look at this is I'm increasing my equity because again, I've got, um, a, a much better building. I've got more capital involved. Cash flow is higher. The building's better. I got a larger tax write off with depreciation because I've got something new that I can depreciate. And then, of course, my income, my, my cash flow goes up. And you can put all these things together all at once. And um, again, I, I'm going to borrow more money from the bank whenever I go and improve the building. But we remember that commercial real estate is value based upon its rental income. So if we increase the rental income, it allows us to increase the actual intrinsic value of the building, okay? Not like residential where if you've got a cul-de-sac of 10 houses that are all going for 200 grand and on that 11th house, you put granite countertops and a helicopter pad on the top, it's probably still gonna only be worth 200 grand. I mean, you really can't increase the value all that much more because all the other houses around it are worth that amount of money. So I would actually say the properties residential are worth more vacant. commercial real estate it's all about cash flow so um certainty of collecting rent we've all experienced this if you own one residential property i actually had a tenant i may have mentioned already um he said that his grandma had covet that's why he couldn't pay rent so i would i would actually as we kind of go on this i would like to hear everybody's like um best excuse from tenants that has residential uh property because if you own that you understand people will come up with anything it's it's kind of comical um but again collecting rent from residential it, it's time consuming it's frustrating I me mean, i got a guy that's he lost his job and this and that and he's getting divorced or whatever and they can't pay rent where literally the commercial tenants um their business is the one that's paying the rent it's it's it, and they're and they're personally guaranteeing that rent so Um, they're putting everything on the line to make sure that their business functions. And I think most importantly, too, to understand the difference here is that when you're dealing with residential tenants, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with employees, you're dealing with people that work on the line at Chrysler. And I'm not not knocking if anybody does that or whatever, but it's a different mindset versus a business owner, somebody that goes into tax problems and finds solutions in order to, to create a capital gain. So it's a different mindset where residential... I'm a greedy landlord with commercial. I am their business partner. That's the kind of the biggest difference I've discovered at least with my residential tenants versus my commercial. Um, but but to go down to it, um like I said earlier, guys, like with residential, multiple things have to go right for you to receive rent with commercial. multiple things have to go wrong for you not to receive rent. So that's kind of that's kind of the biggest difference I've discovered at least between residential commercial um rent reviews or rent bumps we've all heard this before basically talking about how um every single year rents go up about three percent at least some tenant or some lease I've got one lease that's four percent um but the majority of my leases are about three percent and what that does um not only does it does my um property taxes and insurance those go up based upon you know I just send my tenants like hey here's what I paid last year that's what I'm going to send you a 12 every single month of pro rata for, um, but rents go up not only for inflation, but most importantly, if you think about it this way, it allows to go back to what I mentioned before with those, with those, like those multiple year leases, it allows for a lot more conservative or, or I'm sorry, consistency in regards to the rent for my tenant to be a lot more efficient in their business. So if they know that rent's going to go up 3% every single year, or again, 4% or 2%, whatever you negotiate, it's gonna allow, it's gonna be more efficient and, and and better for your tenant, straight up and down. Your tenant's gonna be more appreciative because they're able to forecast out their expenses in their business for multiple years into the future versus you being able to just essentially change rents every single year, depending upon the location, depending upon the economy. Um, th- this allows the landlord and the tenant both to be both on the same page. As kind of time goes on so you can see it enables landlords to offer a lower base rent than they would otherwise have to be able to if they had to build in a buffer should rents decline so um, it just ensures stability if that makes sense um and then kind of i'm not going to say my favorite or anything but there's a lot less with government interference there's um there's a lot more government involvement with residential tenants than there are commercial um i had a funny uh, one of my one of my uh, mentors who's big in storage he said uh, boxes don't bitch <laughs> so basically saying that uh people that put money in storage facilities or put put stuff in storages like boxes don't complain where you got a residential tenant somebody slips and falls or somebody's dog bites somebody else you're on the hook as a landlord that, even though you had nothing to do with it so um and then really here at the, this last this last um motion here it's basically saying you know, an entrepreneur, a business owner, it, you know, if they if they rent both a residential space and an office, um, if he didn't have sufficient funds for his residential and commercial rent, I'm willing to bet that he would much rather pay his commercial lease or his commercial rent before his residential. Because if he doesn't pay his commercial rent, I got the rights to go in and, and literally auction off of his equipment where residential property, um, you know, you got to go through the courts and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's kind of my main out of the gate, just reasons why I love commercial over residential. I'm going to get into the this second half real quick here about building your team, but I wanted to open it up to questions first about thoughts on kind of like what I've discovered as to why I think commercial is, I mean, geez, night night and day better than residential. Anyone anyone have thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, just uh, right out of the gate, I think one of the first things is like um, – whenever something sounds too good to be true, like obviously there's so many different pros. Are there any negative sides you've seen where it's like, Hey, look, like commercial is great for all these different reasons you've already listed, but mm. there are X, Y, and Z to watch out for. These are probably the biggest pitfalls
2: with commercial.
0: Sure. Yeah. There's a couple, I would say my, my biggest one. And, and it's, and, and I would almost reverse this on you as also this is the biggest opportunity. But when you hear commercial, it's that same song and dance where everyone gets spooked because they hear vacancies, they hear large numbers, they hear um, debt services, they hear foreclosures. But if you go into it with the right approach where before you buy a building, or again, let's just talk 10,000 square feet of warehouse space, instead of just buying a building with no tenant. Um, go out there and hunt down a tenant that would want that space before you buy it. And then I'll show you how, again, how to negotiate those leases or negotiate that sales contract where you can essentially have an opportunity to, to rent that space day one, after you close the deal, that way you're actually never having a vacancy. So, um, that would be one is, is, is if you buy a building with no tenant in sight or, um, you see these uh I mean I, my brother actually he's trying to buy this like 150,000 square foot building and it's got like multiple levels. And I, and I think that's great cuz he's wanting to you know he's wanting to do deals but what you're doing when when he buy and I'm just going to throw him out as an example and if he was on here I'd I'd call him out too but the fact is is that the larger a deal or the more unique the building the lesser um the the, the style of tenant that's going to to want to lease that space. So to put that into a perspective of like a vehicle, if you go down to the dealership and you bought a car, let's say a brand new Chevy Tahoe or a brand new Mercedes Benz, and it's off the lot and it's stock, you're going to have a lot of people that will want to go in, actually maybe buy that from you on the secondary market when you want to go trade that back in. If you wanted to go and say, hey, I want to make this thing mine, I want to make it unique, I want to personalize it, I'm going to put, you know, my name in the leather seats. I'm going to put this style of rim on. it. I'm going to put some exhaust, maybe even a hood on it. All these like, you know, unique features to that building, or I'm sorry, to that car. Every time you you niche that thing down and make it more unique, you're essentially shucking off people that are going to want to buy that car from you. It's the same thing with residential property. If you go and buy one very unique, specific style building, again, hundred fifty thousand square foot property, or even a a twenty five thousand square foot property. It's got all these different nooks and crannies. It's got showers in the middle. It's got a a uh, a couple random doors. It's got a, a dumb waiter. It's got shower. It's got all these things versus one just box shell box that's ten thousand feet. The more unique the building it is, the more difficult it is, or the more unique style of tenant that you're going to have to need to lease that space. And he's going to have more leverage over you simply because you have nowhere to go if he doesn't lease it from you. But if you've got a box and you've got ten thousand feet and it's a shell, and you can build that thing out to anybody's specific, you know, metrics or what they need, you can rent to anybody, and then you you're the one that has the leverage versus that tenant or that particular or that style of of, of tenant from you. So, I would just say the two downfalls would be, and this is my personal experience: don't buy something unless you've got somebody wanting to, already to line up, or, or that that that's you know hovering over that style of building, and then don't buy a building that's so unique as to where you've only really got like one style of person that will ever want to lease that space. You know, does that does that kind of answer your question?
1: yeah definitely, and I to me, it sounds like initially what you said, like everything has to go wrong to not get paid it's It's almost like those are the things that have to go like you're you're basically picking a bad deal, and that's the right. downside right
0: and 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 not to mention too is you 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 know you can negotiate and and I'll show you guys how to do this as we as we kind of go on this on this you know um trail together. But I'll show you how to negotiate these these con these sales contracts with the tenants. I'll show you how to negotiate these lease or I'm sorry, sales contract with the seller, uh, lease contracts with the tenant. And if you really want to get cute, we can go down and talk about land contracts and how you can actually do a total liquidation of your equity without actually selling the property, where you can actually be in control of the deal the entire time without your without having to sell the property. So what I'm saying that is is as long as you stick to the very generic buildings and there's a lot of them and there's, and, and I'll show you how, how, even if there's 50 bit, like literally if there's 50 buildings in one, like five square miles, I can show you if you had one tenant, how they could, they, they would lease your space over everybody else's. We'll get into that as kind of time goes on, maybe, maybe in, in the third week of our call. So I'm going to show you how to increase the value of the buildings. But, um, how you can be different. That's that's really the goal is how to be different. Okay. Um, okay. Does anybody have any more thoughts on that? I don't want to I don't want to take away from anyone's questions. Do I have any more thoughts? Does that make sense so far? Kind of as the differences. Okay, cool. All right. So I want to talk about now kind of the second half here. I want to talk about building out our team. Okay. Um, now we can add to this, we can take away from it, but here's kind of my main um couple of guys that I have on my team here, okay? So I'll go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna break down each one, but I want to go over each, you know, everyone first. I've got my broker, my leasing agent, my contractor, my attorney, my title company or my title agent, uh, my accountant, my lender, lenders, uh, my limited partners, and then my property and casualty, casualty insurance agent. So all of these people are in my bubble that make my world go round. Okay, and so what I mean is, is, and I'll show you guys how I do this, but. When I go and buy a building, I've got a building that I'm working on right now. Um, we don't have another contract yet, hopefully by the end of this week, but, um, and I'll show this to you guys, but I can send one email with specific directions as in all the details of what's in that style of what I'm doing to this building and how we're negotiating it. And I send it out and everybody's on that CC and everybody knows what to do. Like they know what their job is on that particular building. Hey, no one's done this before you know, rinse and repeat. We'll do this in again. And they can get that. And it allows me to have that much more agility to get back into the deal and to close more deals faster because everybody on my team knows their place inside of that particular deal. If that makes sense. Okay. So these are really aren't in a particular order. Um, I just kind of threw them together. Um, But these are kind of the guys that not on speed dial, but when I got something on my mind, I know who to call. Um, So And and I think it's important to know this too, that it's, you don't have to know everything. You just got to know somebody on your phone that does know everything about that specific subject. Okay. So this like a broker. um, And and I'll give you guys some kind of like, you know, um, actionable steps at the end of this, as we kind of finish up. But I want to, I want to talk about, you know, each, how, how you can go and, Create an actionable step with each individual person this week, coming this week, how you can reach out to somebody um, to kind of build up your team. Okay. So with your broker, I'm just gonna say everyone knows some guy in real estate, it's got a friend um, that sells real estate. Every time you drive by a shopping center, you see for sale sign. Like pick up that number and start dialing, right? Pick up that phone. Wherever you live, you've probably seen somebody that's out there that's, you know, again, selling real estate, selling commercial real estate. Call that person. Um, just say, "Hey, look, I'm 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 not new, but I'm new. You know, stretch the truth a little bit. You know, I have investors that I work with that are interesting in buying commercial real estate. I'd love to sit down and have a lunch or a coffee. Any broker in the world is not that busy. Number one, and they're always looking for new clients. So that's just going to get you kind of into the realm. They're going to introduce you to maybe other guys that you might jive with inside of their brokerage. But you just got to get in touch with somebody that is." A broker in the in the commercial side. So again, you drive by a warehouse, you drive by a shopping center, you drive by a storage facility. You see for sale. Write that number down. Give them a call. Buy them coffee. But you can get in tight pretty quickly with somebody um, simply by just you know not doing the drive for dollars. But if you're just driving to work, um, also obviously LoopNet. If you've been to LoopNet.com. There's properties you can literally draw a map around your town where you want to buy. So many properties for sale. Every agent broker has their information. They're listing their email. Um, It's not very difficult to find somebody. And over time, again, it's not going to happen over in the first deal unless, you know, if it does happen, you need to go buy a lottery ticket. But you're going to shuffle the deck over time. Like you're going to get a guy. He's going to be great for a couple things. And you're going to find somebody else. And you're going to dish off one guy. You're going to find somebody else. So just keep on shuffling your deck until you really distill down like the team that you want to have, or at least the broker that you want to have that. Whenever you got a deal, you say, "Hey, I'm really interested in this." You're calling that guy to go and negotiate for you. Um, leasing agent. Um, this is different than your broker, okay? And um, I can't, I, I can't uh, explain how important that really is. Most brokers are really good at selling or buying real estate. I have leasing a question.
3: Agent, yeah, go go ahead. Go ahead. So my question is this: When it comes to like a broker, and um, my main concern this is higher,
0: right? Want to make sure, yeah.
3: Hider. Okay. Yeah. So, like, my main concern when I have to rely on relaying my negotiating ability to a broker is that most of the time a broker is not taking into consideration my pocket. Sure. They're taking into consideration, at least in my experience, is that how quickly can I get this deal done at this price for a Hider? If it's Hider's price, obviously he's trying to buy it for a less amount, but it's going to take me more time to negotiate it at that, at that amount. I got to move on to the next guy. So my major handicap has been, which obviously is one of the reasons why I have not been able to scale nowhere near as much as you have, but is that I have a difficult time releasing that ability to a separate individual because I have yet to meet a commercial real estate agent that can I can trust to go to McDonald's and order me a number one and be back at my office in 30 minutes. I mean, we all know what the number one at McDonald's is. It's the big mac super value meal sure i just want to be able to tell this person go to mcdonald's get me a number one and come back without any kind of static but the problem i have when i relay that responsibility to a broker the broker is not going to come back to me with what is in best interest for my pocket their their main concern is that they want to okay, close the deal they just want to get the deal closed and That's move right. the fuck on you know what That's i mean right. so That's right. how do you how do you leverage that hurdle
0: Good question. And I think there's a couple answers to it. But number one is you don't like I said a minute ago, it's you don't you don't find your you know, your uh, you got a couple you got to slay a couple dragons to find the princess, right? Like it doesn't happen over the first time. And I think um, I've lost I've lost some friendships and some, you know, with with brokers because they put themselves first. But what I've discovered is if if everybody in my circle is focused on serving other people without getting philosophical, but like serving their customer, serving their client, um, it always comes back tenfold. And I've always been a guy, and, I've, and I mentioned this to everybody here, I mentioned it, I'm a big guy on the tide raising all ships. I will always put you first. I will always drop what I'm doing to help you where you are. And if you do the same thing with your broker or whoever one of these guys are and, and they know that it's the law or the the, the 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 law of reciprocity if you go and do things for other people they're going to always want to reciprocate that back towards you and so if somebody doesn't it'd be the same thing imagine this you guys have all done everyone's done this you go to dinner with somebody or you go get drinks with somebody and you buy a beer and you, you say hey i'll get the first round of beers and then, you know, you drink some beers, you have a good conversation. Hey, uh, you know, let's get another round of beers. Hey, I'll get the other beers. And then you pick up the tab, right? And it's no big deal because you're guys, you're hanging out. And then you go do something else. You're at another setting. And then you get some beers. And then the same guy was there, but he didn't he didn't try and reciprocate that. He didn't try and buy that beer for you. He's not like, hey, whoa, 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 no one, dude, you bought the beer last time. Let me buy this one. Let me buy you like a couple rounds. He's not trying to like outgoingly reciprocate that to you get rid of that guy immediately because he's simply just trying to mooch. That's not a guy that you want to have on your team. So what I've discovered is I'll give anybody a chance, especially the second time around. And if they're not trying to, if I can distill it down, Hyder, if they're not trying to buy me a beer the second time around, I'm not talking to them anymore. Does that kind of answer your question?
3: No, actually it makes total fucking sense. That's fantastic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's the way that I would describe that yeah. is if that guy is not trying to buy you, not call you up, trying to reciprocate that, or or at least be even with you. You know what? You lost that round. You you paid eight bucks for a couple of beers, but you just probably saved yourselves a million dollars of time and effort working with somebody that doesn't have your best interest at heart. If that makes, makes sense. sense. Okay. Um, and then again, the leasing agent just to distill us down. I don't give me like 10 more minutes, guys. No, we're running close, but I want to, I want to finish this up. <clears throat> it's okay. Um, So the leasing agent here, again, is different than a broker. And what I mean is the brokers are focused on buying and selling. These leasing agents are really, really good at forming relationships with business owners in the community. They have a really good heartbeat on people that are uh, businesses that are moving locations, they have a heartbeat on uh, certain tenants and they're in the lease links. Hey, I've got a guy that's looking for this particular style of building or this particular space, this location. They're all over the map um, regarding um, again lease links, locations, and they have a they have a really good knack to work with business owners. So, like I said here, if you're driving by a shopping center, you even see a four lease sign, that's a leasing agent. He'll have a really good I would say a a prerogative in regards to what's the rent per foot in that area. What's um, what are lease links look like? Are these things full service? Are they triple net leases? Um, But again, the way you find these guys, again, most brokers that you just talked with, you know, you buy them coffee, you buy them a beer, you know, they probably have a go-to leasing agent when they're, when they're buying, like if you're buying a property, they probably got a guy, Hey, you got to call this gray guy. You got to call this hider guy. These guys, this guy leases buildings up. I'd call this dude. Now you've got a referred lead, somebody that um, instead of you having to go on the internet and find somebody, you got somebody that's already um, a referred lead, I guess. So um, contractor, i probably say this is the easiest of all the contacts. Everybody and their brother has had somebody renovate a house or a property or build something in the past. So I would just call up 10 people on your hotline and say, hey, who do you recommend? And everyone's going to recommend somebody. You give every one of them a call. What I've discovered is most uh, contractors prefer to work on commercial projects over residential, simply because the commercial owners are business owners, or the the, the commercial uh, real estate owners are business or investors. Where you know residential are more emotional. They're owner occupants, and so they get more emotional on oh well, the color of the hardwood that doesn't match this or that or whatever, and they get upset about it. Versus me as a landlord or me as an investor, I'm like, look, what's the cost per foot? Let's figure out because it's all a math equation. So most contractors like people that are no bullshit and all in no emotion. So um, call up ten of your friends or ten buddies of y'all that have experienced some type of of uh, you know renovation. Figure out who their contact, their go to person is. If there was a gun to your head, to their head, and call that person and put them in your phone book. Um, attorneys couple different attorneys um I got uh, a closing my, my two guys that I look at are basically closing attorneys and contract attorneys there's obviously 15 trillion different types but these two are the ones that you'll need for your for your business closing attorneys uh basically you know if you have ever seen a HUD statement it's closed at somebody's law office you know we're closing at XYZ's uh there's a guy in Birmingham, Luke Henderson's law office right he's a or, you know, all the uh, uh, Haider Mahmood's, you know, a uh, 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 closing, you know, all these people, there's a lot of closing attorneys probably in your town. You can type in closing attorney on Google, you'll you'll probably find 20 of them. In my opinion, in my experience, they're pretty much all the same. They're, it, it's all a relationship base, um, regarding with investors. If they close or flip properties a lot, they might work with the same person. Uh, but the closing attorneys, in my personal opinion, I have not experienced one that's been better than the other. They're 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 all pretty much the same in my in my experience. Um, contract attorney though, I think there's a little bit more of a niche there. I got a guy, and, and what I'll do too, guys, is I will share every single person on my list with you guys, so you guys can have these people. Maybe the you know if you're not from Birmingham, um, the broker, or the leasing agent, or contractor might not apply to you, but the attorney. The, the the closing agent, the accountant, the lender, the limited partners. I'll share everybody with you guys so you guys can have a head start on that. Um, but regarding the title company, or I'm sorry, um, the contract attorney, I think this is an important guy to have because um, when you go and build your business up, whether you are being a sole proprietor or you're going to create a syndication, you're going to be the general partner on that. And you actually bring the deal to him. and You say, hey, I'm willing to close this. Here's kind of how I want to do this. Because of his knowledge and understanding entity structures, he's going to help you build out the the specific entity that you need to create that's designed for your business objective. So if you're a, if you're doing a GPLP syndication, he's going to most likely just draw up some type of general syndication document. If you're going to get cute and be the sole proprietor or sole um, you know managing member of an LLC. He'll draw that document up limited partner, you and a partner, you know, or limited liability, limited partnership. That's a, um, one more kind of step of a syndication, but if you have a good contract guy, he's going to be able to know what style of business that you're trying to, uh, produce, and he's going to have the right entity to draw up for what you're trying to, um, you're trying to deploy. Um, does that make sense? Does that make sense so far on those two types of different attorneys? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, title company, title agent. I will give the plug here with Hyder. Hider. Hyder is an awesome title agent. He he does a lot of closings, like a lot of closings in Alabama. Um, the title company, in my opinion, also is very similar to a closing attorney. It's they run the title search and they do um, make sure that there's liens or there's you know whatever's If there's clouds on the title, they can inform you on that. But um, candidly, what Hyder's done for me is whenever I have a building that I really want to go after. I send him the address and he, I'm not kidding. He gets back to me like by the end of business day with an entire title report on the liens on that. And if there's other clouds, the reason why that's important to have a guy in your, in your corner, that's an agent that can pull those, the the, the title search on that so quickly is because it allows you to be more agile when you're making an offer, because now you understand where that seller is coming from. You see what is on the title. You see if there's, region's bank liens, you see if there's if there's uh, mechanic liens, you see if the business has been sold to somebody else and there's some type of like personal guarantee on that deed that has to be released, you have a much better understanding of that guy's position. So it's going to allow you to get a lot more creative when you go and make an offer on that property because you understand where that seller's position is before he even understands where you're coming from when you make that offer. So um is the more that you can understand about that property the better off you're going to be and and I'm going to plug Hyder because he's he's really great at it but he's um a, a, he's been a great a great uh title agent for me when it comes to finding property or uh title searches for that. Um okay, account, this is probably um in my in my uh experience in my business the most important player on your team he's got to understand a couple of things and we'll get into this next week. I don't want to I don't want to jump too far ahead. Um but he's got to understand cost segregation, you see this highlight? He's got to understand cost segregation and depreciation. He has to understand these two metrics. He's got to understand the difference between straight line depreciation and bonus depreciation. He's got to understand what a real estate professional is. He's got to understand what goes into being a real estate professional, how you or your spouse or however you file your taxes, how you can be a real estate professional and take bonus depreciation. Because what that does is it offsets your active income with your passive loss when you buy these buildings. Now, I don't want to jump into too far because it, you know, that might be a too much, some unfamiliar language. Well, I'll get into that next week. But these are very important metrics that your accountant needs to understand. And of course, I've got a guy and he's the best in probably the state. got a couple guys maybe on here that I've already introduced him to. His name is Clay Hagler with Hagler and Brocato here in Birmingham. He does taxes for, I have clients for infinite banking or life insurance in 49 states. I don't have one. I don't have a client in Alaska yet, but he has, he does, um, he does taxes for people in in all 50 states. So, I will of course share his information with anybody that needs an accountant because he is I've I've had probably five accounts, he's probably the best and it's not probably he is the best and it's not even close.
3: So Dude, that's fantastic, man, because I'm looking is, for I'm looking for someone else to go ahead and take over my entire accounting system him. and Taxes. Need him.
0: He he's he saved me like last year. Being totally transparent, we made just under a million dollars in income, and I got a forty-one thousand dollar tax refund because my life insurance business, my employer withholds taxes. We got a forty-one thousand dollar refund. We didn't pay a dime of taxes because of the bonus depreciation that we took from the buildings that we bought. And everybody in this freaking call can do that, and it's not that hard. It is. It is. And I'll explain all of this. I'll go into detail next week about it. We'll walk through every single step of it to where you guys can teach it to your third grade cousin. Like you will understand bonus depreciation and cost segregation next week. I will have you guys understand this. It is a game changer regarding taxes. Um, but another thing, most importantly here, he's he'll be your teammate, right? I'm a huge advocate of Clay. He's been amazing for me. But um, being able to be in like uh, a... Uh, I would say an attribute of an accountant is basically he's your teammate. You got to always be in communication with him because if you get down to the end of the year and he says, Hey, dude, you're going to be on the hook for 150 grand in taxes. And it's too late for you to buy a building. And your only next best option is for you to go buy a plane. You're going to be in, you're going to be, you know, shit up the Creek a little bit. So um, basically what, Clay is, at least for me, is a teammate. We we work through stuff. When I I I basically buy him lunch or he buys me lunch every other month, and we kind of go over where things are in our business. That way, he can kind of monitor where I am and say, Hey, you're 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 got some capital gains coming up, or what's going to happen? You really need to buy something that's going to be X, Y, and Z price where you can wipe out your capital gains. Because I sold an apartment building earlier in the year, and so he's like, You're going to have to buy something else that's you know going to be able to offset that. So. Great asset as an accountant, and I can introduce everybody to this guy. A couple more real quick. I know we're getting down to the end here. Sorry about that. Going over a little. Um, But lender, um, local banks, period. No Fortune 500 banks, no Regions banks, no um, Capital Ones, none of those. Only local banks where you can basically develop a real relationship with with loan officers. So um, I've got a guy that I work with at Renaissance Bank, which is a local bank in Birmingham where um, I give him a call and I say, here's what I'm trying to do. I know this is on the fringe of what you guys are normally up to, but this will work and I'll, sh- and I'll, and I've, and I'll prove it to you. And, and at this point, he he'll go to bat for me with his loan committee because, um, it's made them money. I made them money. I pay them interest every month. So, um, you got to go with local banks the way that, uh, uh second kind of thing here was the brokers again, like Hyder mentioned earlier, everyone just wants to get paid. Brokers probably have a decent relationship with some lender that they've done deals with with before. Another way you can go about it, if you're buying the building from somebody, let's say it's a million dollar building and um, that guy is, you know, you're buying, whatever you're buying it for, um, figure out, go again, call Hyder for a title search, figure out who holds the note on that building already. You call that person up already and say, hey, look, I know you're already familiar with this building. Would you be interested in lending on? I'm buying it. And because they're already familiar with that asset and, and carrying that debt, you got a 10x time opportunity to buy that building with that bank than you would trying to call your local community first bank and start that whole process out of the gate. So um, brokers or, or finding out who holds the debt already is Almost a game changer. Um, and then kind of a unique strategy that I've kind of discovered over time is if you Google boldly, which is called bank owned life insurance, here it is, um, what that I won't get into the weeds of this, but uh, Bowley essentially uh, is tier one, where where banks they have to put their profits somewhere, and it's called tier one capital. And what they do is they essentially, if you go into the bank next time, um, you'll see if they're not a teller, they're a vice president. And what that allows is the banks to put life insurance on everybody that's a, that's a in, uh, some type of employee for them, and so they stuff all their profits onto their um, employees it's called bank owned life insurance and the reason they do that because it's tax-free it grows on compounding and they get a borrow against that money to lend it out um, at a higher interest rate to somebody else but what i'm getting at though is banks own more life insurance than real estate but what this does if you google bully you'll actually be able to see what their actual life insurance and their asset holdings are and it's like you know public knowledge so if you can go find a bank that's got less than a billion dollars in assets, they're just, they're going to be more aggressive or they're going to be wanting to do more deals with you and get creative with you because they're chasing deposits and they're chasing loans. So if you Google Bowley, you can find any state that you're in, you can find out what their assets are. If it's under a billion dollars, check them out and give that guy a call because it's probably like three or four loan officers. And like the one loan officer is like the loan committee. So it's like him saying, on the left shoulder should we do it yep we should do it and they pass your loan so that's one that's just another thing that you can study kind of on your own time as bully and but less than a billion dollars brokers that are selling the building call up who um figure out who actually holds the loan you can probably call that banker up they might even keep holding the loan or they might even let you assume the debt and only local banks don't go to forge 500 banks um
3: okay two more limited partners. I'm sorry, bro. I got one quick question. I promise yeah, yeah, I'll make yeah. it quick. Yeah, Of course. Of course. What is, your, uh, what is your recommendation as far as, I guess you can answer this question more down the road, but my question was when you basically talk to a bank that already holds the asset, yeah. what's the likelihood of them basically transferring the asset to you on a new note versus them saying, nah, we're kind of done with this. We just want to be paid off and we want to be out of the whole equation.
0: Uh, it's I would say it's rare I would say it's I, I I have not experienced that pretty much ever it's the same thing as doing a subject to deal um where subject to in residential if you're familiar is essentially where you assume a a, a property's debt as a, a subject to you know you buy a property subject to the existing mortgage so I have not ever experienced a bank not wanting to collect interest ever so not not knocking your question, Hyder, but I just do not ever experience or I would no, never got it. That's fantastic understand okay. a, a bank ever wanting to not receive interest. Because here's the thing. Think about it this way. If you're buying a million-dollar building, and there's $600,000 of debt left on that building, and you go and close that deal, well, then that first position gets paid off. And now that bank has 600 grand that's now sitting there rotting away, and they're paying interest to some other depositor. Versus them just re-upping the loan or recasting or renewing a loan at 750, dollars and now they've still got the debt and they're still collecting interest. Like to the bank, that's a freaking slam dunk because they still hold the debt. Yeah, that's a perfect debt.
3: way to explain it. It actually makes total yeah. sense now.
0: They just want debt. They want to lend you money. And anytime that you pay off debt, um, not only does it destroy currency, but it also – that bank now has capital that they have to go is now a liability on their books. They have to pay interest on that dollar. So banks, of course, go and only make money when they take your deposits and they lend it out at a higher interest rate. So without getting into the weeds of that, banks never want you to pay off debt. That's why interest-only debt is like some people say, oh, why would a bank never want interest-only? It's because they always will have principal on their balance sheet. They always want interest. So um, that would be my Did that, did that answer your question, Hyder? Yeah, I did. It was fun. Okay, okay, two more guys, and we'll finish up. Um, limited partners. Um, basically, this will just be when you guys start to um, raise money, when you guys are starting to try and bring deals to, or bring uh, bring deals to your investors. Young or old, everyone has a rich dad, uncle, a friend, a brother. Someone's made some money somehow, and I will. You know, like I always say, birds of a feather flock together. Right. So um, when I first started, I bought everyone and their brother, my dad's brother's coffee lunch trying to figure out how I could make money. I was trying to make a buck and I would ask them questions about how they got into their business. I was, I was genuinely curious. So when you guys are going and meet with people um, again, investors, again, uncles, brothers, whatever it is, what's your at risk appetite? What are you interested in investing in? What capital do you have that you want to deploy in? What if I would, was the interest, I mean, are there, are you interested in real estate asking questions about what their appetite is for risk or for investment you're going to pry out of these people and they're going to tell you exactly what they're looking for. And then when they tell you that you couple that with a property that is going to do exactly what they're asking for, you position it to them, Hey, I got an awesome deal. And then again, we'll get down in the weeds of this, how you structure these syndications. I'll get into that probably week four, maybe, or whatever. Um, but, but just start developing, making phone calls with people and saying, Hey, look, here's what I'm doing. Um, I'm buying real estate. If you know somebody, um because here's the thing like I have right here what happens is that even you know even if your brother-in-law isn't interested but you tell everybody that you're buying stuff your brother-in-law might not be interested but he might have an old college roommate that he talks with every other week and uh, is loving what you're talking about and you guys can build a connection he might have a million in cash and he wants to invest with you so you just freaking never know you never know swing for the fence and then um I would say this is more of a philosophical thing but The sooner that you guys give up trying to please people or making people happy or you're worried about what other people think, the sooner you're going to get out of the matrix and the sooner you're going to start transacting business. The sooner you stop giving a fuck about what people think about you, the better off you're going to be in this world. That's my personal opinion and my prerogative. Um, And then my last kind of uh, teammate would be property and casualty insurance agent. Um, Everyone's got a guy all quotes are pretty much the same. They're they're all within 10 bucks of each other. Um, I have a video I can send you guys. Um, I actually made a detailed video. Uh, It's more about residential than anything else, but it just talks about how the details of the value of real estate versus the replacement cost. because uh, I'll go into the detail and and I don't bore you with this, but um, there's even a strategy within inside of insuring real estate um, that goes as to how to save a dollar versus by, you know, insuring for replacement the cost here versus 80% there, depending upon what side of, you know, the state that you're on and this and that. But of course, when they're triple net leases, um, the cost of insurance doesn't matter because you pass that cost on to your tenant. So, um, and your tenants thrilled because his stuff is insured. So, um, all right, that's enough talking for me guys. Um, I hope that that was at least some type of value. I know I'm, I, I'm not a big, like just scroll down and talk on a Google sheet or whatever, but um, I wanted to just hammer home out of the gate that the differences between commercial and residential and then building our team out. Because if you were to go and get a con- a building under contract tomorrow, how the hell are we going to know what the next move is? You know, it's not, it, it wouldn't be fair to at least have a team out of the gate as you're starting to build out. Um, I think we got to have a good foundation with some rebar before we start going in and starting making offers on the deals. So, um does that does that kind of make sense for the first for the first call this week and, and everybody's um everybody is that is that does anyone have questions or thoughts about that kind of after the first week
3: i think it was fantastic actually i think it was fantastic okay i've i've been sitting here like typing like a bat out of hell just you know all these notes i think it was fantastic awesome
0: i, I appreciate that but what i'll i'll, I'll do this too guys'll that little doc i'll just like download it as a PDF and I'll just share it with you guys so you can have it. And what I'll do too is I will um, create a Google doc and um, share it with everybody in our group. So you can always have access to anything that I ever have. Um, everyone already has their pro formas, but I'll also just share things for the entire group um, contracts, uh, uh, anything that goes into something that it's in the business. I'll just share it to everyone can always have access to it. So yeah, um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of I would say week one, we kind of went over a little bit. But um, I hope that that was out of the gate valuable for the first week. And I'm already looking forward to next week because here's here's kind of what we're going to do. Um, like I showed you guys before. Let's see here I'm going to just kind of, you know, you guys have already seen this spreadsheet or whatever. But we'll go into the details of this pro forma. We'll, we'll go. Uh, I'll break down. Um, what these numbers and these metrics mean. I mean, some of you guys, if you've done some real estate, you you probably recognize some of these these terms. But uh, I'll break down a lot of these metrics and the relationships between them. But most importantly, how you position them to banks and how you position them again to private money guys and how you position them to to uh, syndicate partners and how um, you'll have guys out of the wanting to invest with you out of the palm of your hand, like it's. When you present them that pro forma and you're able to walk through step by step why these metrics are important, you will be the most sophisticated, sophisticated person in the room, and you're going to be turning investments away straight up and down. So, that's I guess that's it for week one, guys. I hope that that was I hope that that was informative and educational and worth your time. Anybody have any kind of closing thoughts or statements or whatever ideas?
3: Uh, no, I just want to know when the next one is.
0: Next, next one is going to be this is going to be, I guess, next uh, Tuesday. So next um, Tuesday at at uh, six o'clock Central Time, and I'll send a new link. What I'll do is next Tuesday, I'll send another, and this one's recorded. So of course, I'll upload this to YouTube, and I'll send this email out to, uh, or I'll send the the link out to everybody on here um, tonight or tomorrow morning, probably with the link, just to recap that docu that document, and then also the Google uh drive so you can have just all that information as it kind of builds up and accumulates over time and i'll send all that information and man we'll just start rocking and rolling and of course everyone has my cell phone my email call me text me i'm freaking in your corner and let's get this freaking ball rolling so i'm, I'm excited to have you guys thanks so much for being a part of this
3: thank you sir thanks
0: i thank
1: appreciate it <laughs> thanks all right all. Okay, guys thanks,
0: Sounds good. All right. I'll be talking with you guys uh, in between or if not before then next week. All right. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thank you. All right. See you. See you.